Liberal MP Greg Fergus has been elected as the new Speaker of the House of Commons. Canadian teachers are seeing a spike in violence and harassment among students in their schools. The Governor General is taking Canadians to the cleaners, literally. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, October 4th, and this is True North's Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Members of Parliament have elected Greg Fergus as the new Speaker of the House of Commons. Liberal MP Fergus is the 38th Speaker of the House. The abnormal mid-session speaker election follows the resignation of Anthony Rhoda, who stepped down after inviting and recognizing former Nazi soldier Yaroslav Hunka as a war hero during a visit to Parliament by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Fergus is a Liberal MP, though the role of Speaker is to preside over House of Commons proceedings in a non-partisan fashion. Fergus said respect and decorum will be his goal. Fergus will no longer participate in Liberal caucus meetings. As Speaker, he will not participate in House debates and will only vote on bills and motions in the event of a tie. In February, Fergus was found guilty of violating federal ethics rules after lobbying for a television station to receive mandatory carriage from the CRTC. Seven MPs sought the position, including several other Liberal MPs, Alexandra Mendes, Sean Casey, Peter Schiff, Conservative MP Chris Dontremont, and NDP MP Carol Hughes, also threw their hats into the ring, as well as Green Party leader Elizabeth May. In many ways, Lindsay, the election of a new speaker is supposed to be a fresh start for the House of Commons, but here we have this stain with the invitation and reception of former SS soldier Yaroslav Hunka. With Rhoda stepping down and now a new speaker being elected, do you think the government hopes Canadians forget entirely about the Nazi invite scandal? Oh, Cosman, that story is just over now. We're on to the next thing, which is that we have our first black speaker of the House of Commons. The legacy media and liberal politicians are just so overjoyed about this. They're they're just extremely happy about Greg Fergus's skin color. So it's all about that now. Um, and, you know, something our listeners might not know is the House of Commons speaker actually has their own official residence. So Greg Fergus now has a new estate to live on in Kingsmere, Quebec, which is in Gatineau Park. It's called The Farm. And in addition to his base salary of $194,600 as a member of the House of Commons, he will also be receiving an additional salary of $92,800. There's been a lot of talk about Greg Fergus's past ethics violations, but otherwise, I don't think Canadians really know much about Greg Fergus. Greg Fergus is someone who toes the party line. He's also a supporter of the radical Black Lives Matter movement. He kneeled alongside Trudeau at the 2020 Black Lives Matter protest in Ottawa. So there's a picture of him taking the knee 
uh, while masked, because this was during COVID. Um, so that pretty much seems to sum him up as a person, someone who will absolutely do what's popular and what his party demands of him so that he can advance his status. Canadian teachers are seeing a spike in violence and harassment among students in their schools, a slew of recent surveys show. The surveys, conducted by teacher unions in Saskatchewan, Ontario, and Nova Scotia, revealed alarming statistics about the prevalence and impact of violent incidents in the classroom. For instance, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, representing 83,000 public elementary school employees, revealed that 77% of its members have either experienced or witnessed acts of violence directed at themselves or their colleagues. The situation is even more dire for those working in special education, where a staggering 86% reported encountering violence. Additionally, more than 80% of respondents acknowledged that violence is negatively impacting the learning environment. Results show that things have gotten worse since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, when many provinces shut down schools and forced students to remain home during the school year. Cosman, what do you think the root of this violence is? I think there are multiple factors involved. Obviously, the pandemic looms large. Taking kids out of school for an extended period of time will cause behavioral issues. I mean, we're seeing it play out in Toronto. Violence at schools, uh, particular schools, has been prevalent, as we've seen in the news. The other factor I could see is that I think many teachers, educators, principals, vice principals feel that they can't discipline students, that they can't counter uh, some of the harassment and threats. Part of that is a cultural issue. We've gotten so used to coddling kids, telling them that they can do no wrong when in reality, I think educators kind of have enabled some of this behavior. They do not issue consequences for negative antisocial behavior, at least not in the way that I remembered it when I went to school. There used to be specific consequences for this, but now it seems like all that gets handed out is a simple slap on the wrist. Actually, Cosman, this summer, there was a piece in the CBC where an education assistant described how she is hit, slapped, bit, headbutted, and kicked routinely on the job. And she said that she had one student who loves to kick you right in your stomach, your private area, wherever he can manage to get his hands on. And then there was another EA, an education assistant from Hamilton, in that same article, who said that after a kid commits violence against one of the EAs, uh, the kids are sent to the principal's office and they return with stickers or lollipops or other tangible things with no disciplinary action. And when the EAs ask the principals about this, they are told that the kids apologized and said they wouldn't do it again. And the EA added that sometimes because of kids' learning profiles, uh, they're not allowed to discipline. The EAs are not allowed to discipline them. And that really is the root of it, isn't it? Is that there is no discipline and there are no standards in Canadian schools. It's always on the decline. And I'm going to keep this as polite and G-rated as I can. But I know of an individual in a middle school who was completely illiterate, could not write, could not read. He was not toilet trained. It gets a lot grosser than that. But obviously, we're, we're talking about someone who is severely disabled. 
And yet this individual, like I said, was allowed to proceed into middle school, you know, throughout grade seven, grade eight, beyond. And yes, he was violent to his education assistants. So why is someone like that in the public school system, in the traditional school system? It really doesn't make sense because there aren't the resources to handle that kind of violence and behavior and special needs. You're right to point out that there are a lack of resources, but I don't think it's just like a money thing. I think a lot of money is being wasted on useless and counterproductive measures like diversity, equity, and inclusion, paying anti-racist consultants, when here we have real tangible acts of violence being committed within our schools, and yet certain activist groups have called for the removal of police liaisons from schools citing racial discrimination grounds. But we're seeing some of those decisions being reversed. For example, last year, the Vancouver School Board narrowly voted to reintroduce police liaisons in schools for this school year, citing an uptick in, quote, troubling and violent attacks among students. Well, Cosman, you referenced DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion policies. And yes, that absolutely is part of it, because the inclusion aspect means including people who even are violent because they're disabled. Records tabled in the House of Commons in response to a query from a conservative MP reveal that Rideau Hall has spent $117,566 on laundry services for the Governor General since 2018. The expenditures have been decried by the fiscal watchdog, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. CTF Federal Director Franco Terrazano asked, quote, Why does the Governor General's office need to spend so much on dry cleaning when it already has staff doing laundry and there's a six-figure expense account for new clothes? The office of the secretary to the governor general managed to spend six figures on dry cleaning despite having an in-house domestic staff. The monthly dry cleaning costs for Rideau Hall cost taxpayers an average of $1,800 each month. This total would be enough to dry clean 13,831 blouses, 6,204 dresses, or 3,918 duvets. According to prices at Majestic Cleaners, a dry cleaning service in Ottawa. While the records did address that traditional laundering is done in-house at the OSGG, the official residence of the Governor General, they also stated that personal clothing needs, including tablecloths, napkins, and assorted linens are sent out for professional dry cleaning. I have to give credit to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation because they've been on top of the Governor General's spending since the very beginning. You know, every week we see stories coming out of this office, this appointed office, unelected individual who constantly racks up different costs and taxpayers are there to foot the bill at the end of the day, whether it's fashion, whether it's fancy trips uh, to international destinations, different conferences where they have steak and all kinds of fancy meals on their private jets. It really is never ending with the governor general. 
And the appointment of Mary Simon hasn't seemed to put the brakes on this entire affair. I think one thing Canadians need to ask is why aren't MPs holding the Governor General's office accountable when we constantly see overspending waste at the expense of taxpayers? Surely something can be done, Lindsay, to roll back some of these spending privileges at the office of the Governor General. Ultimately, Mary Simon and any governor general knows that they don't really need to rein in their spending because what are we going to do about it? We can complain, we can think it's outrageous, but ultimately they're going to keep doing what they're doing. And members of parliament, sure, they could apply pressure, but they also probably have some uh, expenses that they would rather not people look into or see Let's not forget Mary Simon's trip to Iceland just last year, where $71,000 was spent just on limo services. The entire trip cost way more than that, around $300,000 for uh, a couple days. And most of the events that Simon was at took place in walking distance from her luxury hotel. But still, you know, $71,000 in limo services. In regards to the dry cleaning, I suppose... I can see that, you know, linens, tablecloths, napkins that were used at functions at her residence, fine, that's a work expense and that would need to go to the dry cleaners. But that being said, when it comes to clothing, it always just kind of baffles me. Why do political representatives and, you know, the governor general, why do they get taxpayers to pay for their laundry when us, we pay for our own laundry? I've never really understood the rationale. That's it for today, folks. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Plus, The Andrew Lawton Show will be live today at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news.